After the Virus, Episode 27. Brought to you by After the Virus, a survivalist journal, available as an ebook or paperback at Amazon.com, or locally in Chico, California, at the bookstore. Don't shut off the podcast once this final Season 1 episode is over. Stay tuned for more information and a brief introduction to Chapter 1 of the sequel, Survivalists' Birthright. When we signed off of Episode 26, the group had just been reunited with Keisha, and she had a surprise for them. Immediately in front of us was a boat that matched the one Keisha had driven, and a tall black woman stood steering it. Keisha! We yelled, and Keisha turned and saw us and threw her arms wide in greeting. I have something for you, she shouted, and with that she grabbed the person next to her and turned them around to face us. Hello! The entire combined group said in amazement as one. My God! cried Will, dropping to his seat and covering his face with his hands. It's not possible, he said to himself. It was hope. We pulled up adjacent to Keisha's boat, and Hope jumped into Will's arms, hugging desperately for a full minute while everyone on all boats cheered and laughed. But how? Will asked when they finally stopped hugging. I'll tell you the whole story later. (laughs) She said as she turned to hug me. Ethan, who had been driving the other fishing boat, leapt into our boat and grabbed Hope, spinning her into him and kissing her deeply. Again, everyone cheered. Well, now we have a renewed reason to succeed, said Sheila loudly. Let's not lose our place in line, people. We have a ship to catch in 24 hours and have to take our turn getting shot at first. This sobering thought brought us all back to reality. We rearranged ourselves so that Ethan and Hope rode with Will and I, while Brock took over piloting the boat Ethan had been in. Just as we neared the bridge, we could hear a plane approaching from behind us. Man the guns! shouted Sheila as, in every direction, boats scattered and rammed each other like bumper boats trying to get out of the path of the incoming aircraft. Let's go for it. Hold on and be ready with the guns. Sheila shouted. All four of our boats began weaving through the crowd towards the bridge as the plane dropped its first set of bombs. There was mayhem all around us as boats capsized and water splashed. In the confusion, we lost sight of the other boats in our group. The plane had turned around to make another pass as we sped towards the area where the cannon had been shooting at boats. Weaving through floating wreckage, we charged forward. We saw the muzzle blast from the bunker above us, just seconds before the water erupted next to us and covered us with spray. Everyone okay? Will yelled through gritted teeth as he continued steering the undamaged boat forward. Behind us, we heard the plane drop more bombs. Looking back, we saw two helicopters approaching the bridge from the south, shooting as they came. No other boats followed us as we raced forward. 
Without the counsel of the group and unsure of what to do next, Will decided that the best thing to do was to go fast and far. We could see boats ahead of us doing the same thing. Racing through the narrow Carquina Strait, we could see another bridge ahead, but this bridge was in ruins, with jagged parts of it jutting out of the water straight ahead of us. On the left bank, a giant fire at an oil storage facility billowed inky black smoke, casting a dark shadow that we were speeding into. Picking our way hurriedly through the wreckage below the bridge, we could see the vast open bay before us. In every direction, boats dotted the horizon, all headed for the same place. To be as far from the shore as possible, we aimed for the center of the bay, veering away from any boats that came close. We were nearly nine miles out in the open bay when Will shouted, Check the gas! Ethan checked the gauge on one of the two five-gallon tanks, then lifted and shook the other. About a quarter of a tank, total! He yelled into the wind. Shit! We can't make it on that! We need to find more gas! We're another boat! Will shouted back, clearly frustrated. Directly ahead of us, about five miles away, the bay narrowed. On the right shore was a headland that appeared to have some protected coves, which we hoped might hold some boats. Will veered towards it. We're running on fumes! Will shouted as we neared the coves, which we could now see did have some boats. At that moment, the outboard began sputtering, then died completely. Grab the paddles! We're gonna have to row in! Will said resolutely. We all searched under the gear and found two paddles which Will and Ethan used, while Hope and I turned life jackets into makeshift paddles. We were still a quarter of a mile from shore, and the wind in our face made for slow going, but eventually we made it to the nearest stretch of coastline, still a half mile from the boat docks. Ethan and I will go find a boat. Don't go anywhere, said Will with a parting smile. The two grabbed their guns and scrambled onto shore, heading toward the docks. It has been an hour now since they left. Hope and I have spent the hour recounting everything that happened to her since the attack near Tisdale. When her boat was flipped by the blast, she was thrown all the way to shore, where she lay unconscious in the weeds for hours. We had never thought to look for her on shore, assuming that we would find her in the water. By the time she came to, groggy and badly bruised up, we were already heading downstream. Without a boat, Hope was forced to walk the levees along the river. Within a few hours, she found a farm with a house and a barn. There was food in the house and an aluminum motorboat in the barn. Hooking the boat up to the farm truck, she was able to get it to the river and began trying to catch up to us. Not knowing about the Fremont camp, she floated right past, making up time-wise for the day that we had spent there. It wasn't long before she caught up to Keisha. Overjoyed at being reunited, they continued on past the airport and the city of Sacramento without incident. While we took the overland route and found deliverance in the shipping channel, they were navigating the longer, slower river. While we added hours in the Montezuma Slough, they headed right past Antioch and Pittsburgh. In this way, we ended up meeting up at the bridge at the same time. As I complete this entry, Will and Ethan are approaching on a sailboat. March 17, waiting and praying for a solution. 
It seems so appropriate that we are stuck here on Alcatraz Island in the middle of San Francisco Bay. Here's how we ended up here. We knew that we were running out of time for meeting the ships, but we had no way to foresee the catastrophic events that led us to being stranded here. San Francisco Bay is perpetually windy, so it's not surprising that we made good time on the small sailboat, which was the only boat that Will and Ethan could find after we ran out of gas. We had just passed under the San Francisco Bay Bridge that connects Oakland to San Francisco. We were so close to the port of Oakland that we could see the four enormous white rescue ships at the dock. Between us and the ships were literally hundreds of boats clogging the channel that the ships would be coming through. Suddenly, we could see and hear gunfire and explosions. We watched in astonishment as the ship nearest us began lumbering forward, blasting its horn as it progressed. At the same time, we were horrified as the last ship in the line exploded into flames. The first ship picked up speed, its horn screaming, capsizing and submerging boats in its way. We gasped as we then saw the third ship in line burst into a ball of flame. Will screamed at Ethan, Let's get the fuck out of here! As we jived back under the bridge and into open water. Looking back, we saw the last intact ship still at the dock erupt in another explosion, while the first ship continued plowing over smaller boats in its rush to escape the channel. Thinking that we might be able to intercept the only remaining ship along its path and somehow find a way to board it, we headed for the mouth of the bay, the Golden Gate. We had made it as far as Alcatraz Island when behind us we could see smoke coming from the ship, then flames and people diving over the side. Fighting the incoming tide, the ship coasted to a halt and then began drifting back into the bay where it eventually sank. Holy shit! was all Will had to say as the four of us stared in shock at what was to have been our last chance at survival, the goal that we had worked toward for several months. Let's, let's dock here and reassess our situation, said Will dejectedly. After docking at the ferry terminal on Alcatraz, we all climbed out of the small boat and lay down on the cement, bone tired from continuous fear and severely traumatized by the disaster around us. We slept on and off for I don't know how long. We ate a little now and then. We barely spoke to one another, but hugged each other often. I suppose that we have been here for two days or so now. The detonation of the nukes is supposed to happen in three or four days. We have sat here and watched many small boats pass by, headed for the open ocean, knowing that they have neither the fuel capacity nor the speed to get far enough from the coast to escape the radiation. As I write, an oil tanker, the first large ship we have seen in days, is approaching. We watch it stop repeatedly as small boats pull alongside and the occupants climb the ladder onto the ship. There's our ticket out! Will is shouting. Leave everything here! We may have to get wet! We'll motor the sailboat as close as we can, but then we may have to swim! Leaving all our possessions, as well as this journal, here. This was what happened after the virus.
Yes, that really is how it ends. With the journal being left behind on the dock, as Will, Laurel, Hope, and Ethan prepare to have to swim from their sailboat to the ladders dangling from the tanker. This journal you've been listening to for 27 episodes was one of only a handful of diaries documenting the collapse of the country in the last year of the virus, and it wasn't discovered until the recolonization expeditions in 11 PV, 11 years post-virus. While this is the ending of an epoch, some survivalists endure. As detailed in Book 2 of my Survivalist series, Survivalist's Birthright. If you'll indulge me for one more week, I'll share the first chapter of Book 2 before taking a few-month break to complete the tale. Once again, thank you for your interest in the story, and I look forward to visiting with you again.